Well, it's good to be together, huh? Just debating if I want to preach or not, you know, just, no, I'm just kidding. So we're starting a a series, if you're brand new, one, welcome. Uh, We're starting a new series, and I'm just going to warn you that it is going to be super random. So if you are like, like you have no attention span whatsoever, this is for you. Uh, Each week will be entirely different. Uh, What I mean is, is uh, oftentimes you and I are asking questions that we don't actually ask for ourselves, we ask for someone else. If you're not familiar with the terminology, it's when you're like, I want to ask this. This is like really going on in my life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask on behalf of a friend that does not exist. It's a figment of your imagination, right? And, and so what we're going to do is we're going to walk through. And each week, uh, I really feel like, honestly, like that, that these are going to set us up for at least a season of, of summer. Just imagine the summer. That should be a good thought for a second. Should lead us into the summer with, with a very laser focus on what God uh, wants to do in our lives. So I thought it was obvious and necessary, like what would be the first question would be one that you might have asked before. It's simply, what should I do? So we're going to resolve that today. Like you, if you've ever wondered this, this should be a blessing. Uh, let me walk you into my life. Not too long ago, uh, we began the process with our 18-year-old son, Uh, to begin to say, hey, you're going to graduate high school. You can't live here forever. What's next, right? And and, and, and and he he wants the same thing from what we can tell, like maybe even more so than us right now. It's really hard and emotional. Uh, So we begin just to have the conversations with our son, like, so what is next? I mean, you got you got the world right now. Let's go after this. And and we began to just, he's been into different stuff. He's, I was super into law enforcement and had done like this junior uh, uh, police academy thing and, and was like, well, is that it? Military maybe? Or, or maybe you just like jump right into a job. Maybe you go to college. Maybe you, uh, what, what, like there's just all these options. What, what should you do? And, and one of the things on his list was there was a college 13 hours away from us. It's a long way. Uh, that he wanted to visit, and so we went and visited the college, and so I remember this. I can, right now, I'm visualizing this, that as I'm walking the campus with Hayden, and we're, they've got this, uh, this pond, and so we're just kind of strolling around the pond, and I'm, this is the first time I've, I'm inexperienced, just so you know, as a dad with an 18-year-old. He's our first. I'm thinking, what do I say in this moment? What are we, what are we supposed to be talking about? And, uh, and I, so I asked, like, so what do you think? And he, he looked at me. He's like, well, well, what should I do? And I'm like, I don't know how to answer that because I have an answer, but I don't know how I should answer this. And then I thought a little bit more because he's processing what he thinks is his rest, the rest of his life. You ever been there where you thought you're like this, this decision will be like forever decision? And I, and I said, I think I think there's a better question to ask than what should I do? And he looked at me like, well, what should I be asking? And I, and I was very serious with him. I said, I think you should ask, what does God want me to do? And he, he knew this. He, he knew this. But I wanted to switch it because you know what happens when you and I ask, what should I do? We do not ask that honestly. Can we admit this? That when we say, what should I do? We begin to figure in, well, what do I want to do? 
What do I like to do? What feels the best? What is my best option? And I wanted to talk to him a little bit. Be like, you know, I think the more mature way to go about what should you do in this season right now is you begin to ask God, God, I want to follow your lead, your direction. So what does God want me to do? And I said, Hayden, you ask that question. You will get an answer. It may not be out in the sky and clouds and loud voices, but you will at least find it in your soul, some sort of a prompting, a leading of, okay, I know what God wants me to do, whether I like it or not, or maybe it's going to be fantastic. And that's how he began the process. And actually, by the time we left that, he was able to give some more clarity to what he thought God was asking him to do. So I want to take you into the Bible, and we're going to go after this. You may be familiar with the story of Jonah. If you went to like, church as a little kid, you're like, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, big fish. Kind of, don't worry, don't, don't steal the thunder here. This is going to be fun. Jonah chapter 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So just, just showing you right off the bat, if you, in fact, if you want some homework, read the book of Jonah this week. It's only four chapters. You can do it. Starts off going, God going to this guy, I would like for you to do this. See, some of us right now are like, I wish you would say that to me. Be careful with that. See, a lot of us are saying, I'll do what God wants me to do, right? Then he tells you, you're like, that's obviously not God. Don't like that. No, I'm going to wait a little bit longer. Well, he gets, he gets from God. He gets straight from God. Go do this. And uh, what we see, his response, verse 3 tells us, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Tarshish? Tarshish? I don't know. It just, just want you to remember it. Um, he went down to Joppa. I'm, if, if you're not familiar, I'm, I'm going to catch you up to that. But he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the, that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, my guess is, and I'm only making a guess, is that you've not recently looked at a map during this specific time era of Jonah. And when I read to you places like Joppa and Nineveh and Tarshish, you're like, What? you got to see what he just did because it's a map of what you and I often do. Let me show you. So Joppa, that's where he started. Remember what God told him to do? I want you to go to Nineveh. See, this is why the maps in your Bibles matter, right? See, sometimes when you read this, you're like, well, that's no big deal. Like, he kind of had a bit of a diversion, a bit of a, he just, God told him what to do, and he's like, nah, I'm going to go somewhere else. Here's a good lesson from the Bible. You can always find a boat going in the wrong direction, right? You ever dated before, right? You can always find a boat going in the wrong direction. You can always find another option available to you See, sometimes we don't we treat what's available as though it's God's hand saying, this is what I want you to do. Like, well, they said they liked me, so we started dating. Um, it was for sale, so I bought it. I got this job offer, so I just took it. 
I love in the, early on in the story, there's this life lesson that maybe availability and options aren't your only sign from God going, this is what I'd like for you to do. Well, he took it. He took the boat. He even paid to go on the boat. And if you read in the story, you're going to learn that it does not go well for him on the boat. Actually, it doesn't go well for anyone on the boat. Uh, a storm comes up. At first, it seems random. Then it gets rather intense, and the people on the boat are going, this is so intense. This seems, this seems like odd. And they begin to conclude that something has gone wrong from someone on the boat. They're like, what do we do? Eventually, eventually, you, just, you can read this. It's a single, like, uh, so... Jonah's like, I think I'm the problem. <laughs> he kind of spills his guts in essence and basically says, um, the, the storm, it's my fault. <laughs> and they resolve, this seems intense, I know, that he needs to go. Yeah, they're still on a boat. And they toss him overboard. Now, when, when I was a kid and I was in church and we were Sunday school is where I was learning this. This is class before church and all that. Now, this is the cool part, where he gets swallowed up by a big fish. But then as an adult, I, like, go a little bit further and be like, that sounds miserable, being inside of a giant fish. As a kid, it sounds like a blast. I mean, let's do this, right? And I don't know what your visual of, now, you might be thinking, I bet it's a big, roomy whale, right? Like, tons of room, which, by the way, that's still disgusting, being inside of a giant whale. But, but as kids, we don't really imagine all of those just gross details. And also, we think about the end of the story, don't we? Especially as adults. We, we know the end of the story, like, well, I mean, it can't, it's not, it's not going to be that long. It's not going to be a big deal. No, you got a guy going, I'm dead. This is, this is the end. And that's what we would conclude. Well, because of how the story ends, and not to be a spoiler, but he doesn't die here. We're able to get from him later on what he was thinking and praying while inside of this giant fish, sea creature, whatever it was. And it's profound, I think. This is his prayer. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. It's interesting a guy saying this inside of a fish, facing his death. He's had a change of heart, can we say? But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle this, but this is this typical moment that you and I have faced before where you're in trouble so what you say to God is, if you just fix this, I am fully devoted to you. I am yours for the rest of your entire life. Well, um, all we know, and we don't know exactly, like, was it like seconds or how this plays out, but Jonah 2.10, and the Lord commanded the fish, uh, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, the reason I'm showing you this is because it's, it's, that's gross, okay? That's just gross. I mean, most of us don't uh, at least have a memory right now of fish vomit, but I'd like for you to have that right now because I think actually it's a good, it's a good analogy. It's a, maybe, maybe better, it's a better metaphor. Maybe it's, it's a way for you and I to understand 
that even though uh, we, we want to do what God wants, we say we want to do what God wants, that, that as we begin to walk this out, when we run from him, there's a bit of a good stench around that sometimes that you can feel it. But here's what's cool. Good lesson. Next chapter. Uh, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now just stop with this. This is beautiful. If, if you aren't a follower of Jesus Christ, if right now you would look at your life and say, you know, I don't know what I think about God. I definitely, uh, maybe you're not proud of certain things in your life and you're processing what kind of God is God? You just got some of it. The word of the Lord came when? A second time. We serve a second chance God. See, when I ask, what should you do or what does God want you to do? Do you know what a lot of us do if you don't know this? Here, I'm going to out what some of us are thinking right now. Oh, this sermon is for someone else because I've either lived too long or I've screwed up too much or I'm not good enough. And we begin, do we not say, okay, so what God wants me to do is now less than what it was when I was eight years old. You got a cool part in here. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. If you don't feel worthy to follow God, if you don't think God actually has things still in store for you, I, I will tell you, if you are breathing, God still intends to use you. No matter what your history is, no matter how well you've done this, how poorly you've done this, no matter where you come from, whatever your education is, I'm telling you, God has intentions of using you in your life no matter what you're processing. And this is just one of the many examples we have. So what should your response be? I'd copy Jonah. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. If you don't understand, it means he didn't do what he did the first time. He's like, Nineveh's still Nineveh. And now it's kind of further away or just not, it went this roundabout way. I think it's profound. So what do you do if you start to look at what God wants you to do? I think we keep reading the story of Jonah. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. If you want to nerd out, they say it was about three days journey to go through the whole city. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Who doesn't want to say that message to a bunch of people? You walk into a city like, hey, everybody, you got 40 days, and you're going to be overthrown. See, we read this incorrectly, and it's not your fault or mine. It's written in a different language, different culture, different time. So I want you to capture, because as you begin to process, and I hope you're processing this, what does God want you to do with your life? I think we can actually copy more of Jonah's story than we ever thought we could. Let me show you why I say this, because that word overthrown, here's the original language. It was interpreted with two different meanings. I know that's weird, but you, come on, we got English words that have like three or four meanings, and it's annoying, right, if you ever write it. But, but in this terminology, that word overthrown meant that, yes, overthrown, yes, that's an option. You could be destroyed, he's saying. In 40 days, you could be destroyed. But the word would have meant to the people that you can also be changed. The message wasn't like what some of us might observe someone standing on the corner of a street having a sign saying you're going to burn in hell, right? That's an incomplete, incomplete message. Even if you're copying the message that Jonah brings, he brings a message to this group of people, this whole city going, you got 40 days 
to get right with God, to get rid of the wickedness. And in 40 days, you're either going to be changed or destroyed. You, you and I, as, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, have the same, I would tell you, the same uh, calling. If you're even a parent, a friend, that when you're, when you're talking to someone, like, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Oftentimes, the greatest bit of wisdom is, well, like, get right with God. Get rid of the wickedness or those actions in your life, and, and, I'm, and, and you're going to be changed, or you're going to destroy yourself or be destroyed. It's, it's a lesson that still works and is good. And then one of my favorite parts. This actually wasn't Jonah's favorite part, but it's one of my favorite parts. Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. Do you notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say the Ninevites believed Jonah. That's why it's my favorite part. It means that he successfully communicated the message. It wasn't so like, well, man, we really liked the delivery that Jonah brought. It was well said. That story he told, the, the nuance, oh, it's, oh, it's great. Really, No, they believed God. Their, their response to it was to believe God. When you begin to process, like, what do I do? How do I do it? God's will for your life is about God. And that's why I would warn you that if you are looking at what, what's your purpose, what's, what should you be doing with the rest of your life, be careful with the terminology of what should I do because you will have a tendency, just like myself, to pick what I want to do. Making life about me. I've got buddies who are pastors in Southern California. And I meet with them every year in sunny California. And they look at me like I'm a weirdo. I'm like, I don't know why the weather is always fantastic where I live. I, I lie. I'm confessing to you that I lie to them. It's just great. And I've been asked multiple times because I love where we live, but I get asked, like, what brought you to South Dakota if you didn't have family and friends? Like, what? Like, well, God. God did that. I gotta tell you, um, I'm discouraged by the amount of Christians that I say that to that are shocked by that. I think we have bought a bit of a lie in our culture that thinks that, that my life should be designed entirely by what I want, what I feel, what I think is good, what are my desires, what do my parents want, what do my friends want, what, what uh, connections do I have, what's my network system, what's the most financially profitable for me. Do you see what? I think we're, we're looking at life and we're going that direction. And you know what's it leading us to? Well, why don't I feel like I'm living my purpose? It's because I think many of us forgot that life is about God. That you and I were created by God for God, to worship God, to celebrate God, to live for God. And anything outside of that is going to have a little bit of a gap, at least, if not a big one, going, man, this isn't landing. Why? If you want to make your life like, I want this to have purpose and I want this to fuel me, it's about God. I'll give you examples. If you just, just a couple examples. If you start at the beginning of the Bible, near the beginning of the Bible, you, you're going to find a, a guy named Moses getting approached, basically, by, by God 
And, and watch the wording. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. I, I have. Notice that when God speaks to Moses, he's not telling Moses, I'm here to make all of your dreams and aspirations come true. Did you catch that? He comes to him and says, I want to do something, and I would like to use you to do it. I want you to be a part of it. Then, keep reading, uh, the transition is made over to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead. Keyword, servant. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm going to give them. It brings us back to what does God want? When you're asking, how do I get to that fulfilling life that, that Jesus talked about? How do I get to a life that when I wake up, that I actually have like, I, here's what I, I don't know all that I'm going to do with my day, but it can have that fullness and that purpose and that mission going, yes! It's more about what does God want? Now, I know some of you are like, uh, I've been there. Now what? Uh, I'm glad you're asking these questions because I was ready. What does God want? Then we ask, so how do I prepare for that? How do, how do I get ready? Because it's a bit of a posture, right? How do I get, how do I get ready for, for when and how God begins to speak very specifically into my life how do I begin to walk that out? Well, I think I'll take you back to Easter real quick. Easter is where we declare that Jesus is alive. And that was amazing. Still keep thinking about Easter. How people literally are now going to heaven because a church was willing to say, do you know about Jesus? It's, sorry, it's just so cool. We declare Jesus is alive. Every day they'll live like Jesus is alive. So as you begin to prepare for, okay, I want to live life on purpose. Maybe you're young enough going, oh, what's my vocation? Now let me help. You. All of life is not about what job you do. I know we start asking kindergartners, what do you want to be when you grow up? And we begin to set them up for this because everything about you is going to be your job. Don't. Everything about you is not your job. Everything about you is not your marital status. Everything about you is not if you're dating or not to, or how much money you have or not. What's more important is, does today look like I am living for Jesus? How do you prepare? Here, uh, if you take notes, take notes. If you don't, learn how to take notes. Uh, who before do? This is important. You can take a picture of it, write it down, whatever you want to do. But 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, God's will is for you to be holy. If you've asked that question lately, maybe, what's God's will for me? What does God want for me? The Bible, if you want the direct statement, is he wants you to be holy. If you get into the, the wording of that, he wants you to be set apart. He wants you to be in his family. But he, if you actually learn, there's a maturity to that. So as you begin to prepare, you begin to think about, okay, who? Who am I? Who? I know you and I, come on. We want, but what will I be doing? What am I going to do? No, 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 no. Who are you? Is so crucial. Uh, obedience. And, and outcome, our responsibility versus God's responsibility. Think about it. Uh, many of us, we, we, we want to know like, who does what. Let me give you an example. I told this story a long time ago, but I'll tell you it again. 
I love the Olympics. So it, uh, when, when they train the U.S. Olympians, they are, of course, you know, they're athletes. So, of course, they're brought in and, and given specifics on, like, how to train their body and, and all of that kind of stuff. But the way we train our U.S. athletes is we actually involve them also where they meet with a psychologist. If you, if you know sports nowadays especially, this has become very prevalent, that, that it's not just a, a body uh, game, it's, it's a mind game, and they got to be suited up for that well. Well, uh, what they have found is most athletes show up to the, the prep center the, 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 where they're going to learn how to be a, an Olympic athlete, and they show up with, with one agenda. You don't have to guess hard to know the agenda. Uh, I am here to win a gold medal, right? I mean, and then those of us who are results-oriented, uh, are, we're counting those medals, the whole entire Olympics, going, did we beat everybody? That's the whole important thing here. I know sportsmanship, that's cool, whatever. Did we get more medals? Uh, so that, but that's, that's what most, most athletes show up to, going, I want the gold medal. I've been training for the gold medal. If you don't know this, the U.S. system is designed to even psychologically talk them out of that approach. They actually are allowed to say it when they show up, but once they show up, they're not supposed to actually say, I'm here to win a gold medal. They teach them the difference between execution and outcome. See, you and I are so outcome-based. We, we, we start a job, we want to know what's the end result. We start dating, we want to already know what's the end result. We go to school, we want to know the end result. You are a kindergartner, what are you going to do when you get done with all of your education? You see, we, we're so outcome-oriented that, just you know, they're not doing that with the elite athletes. They're talking about execution. So the whole time is like, hey, gold medal, that's cool. Let's put that back. Let's talk about how you get your right arm over as a swimmer. Let's just work on that today. We're just going to, we're going to get that right arm. You're going to bring that up a little bit. And all day long, we're not going to talk about gold medals. All week long, we're not going to talk about gold medals. Let's get that right arm over a little bit. Or if you're a runner, let's talk about how quickly you get off from the starting line. So we're just going to practice that all week, all month, all year long. That's what we're going to do. And they begin to train the athletes. Let's execute what we know to do, what we know how to do. Let's do that and let the outcome take care of itself. It's why some of us myself included. Well, sometimes watch an athlete not win a medal, and I would be crushed, I think, at that moment, all that prep. But what you'll find is a lot of them aren't crushed because they find themselves going, I did the very best I possibly could. I executed as well as I possibly could have. The only time they're disrupted is when they would tell you, I didn't execute how I know I should execute. I think it gives us light into, it's not about what God does, what do you want to do with the rest of your life and all? No, no, how about today? How about the obedience today? Who? Before getting after what God wants you to do the rest of your life, would you start asking the first question, who are you becoming? Who are you? Then you move on to why before what? This is really making some of you mad, and I get it. Deal with it. Uh, you're like, but I want to do something, and I want to know what I'm doing. I get this, but so why before what? Proverbs 16, 2 says, people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. In other words, examine your motives. Not only like who are you and who are you becoming, but why are you wanting that? You want me to, you want me to lean in really close to you? Okay, here's what we'll do. Um, let's talk about marriages. 
why do you want to end it before talking about you wanting to end it? Why do you want that other job? Why do you want to move? Why do you want to quit? Why do you want to get into that? Why do you want to go there? Before what? It's hard, isn't it? Because we're all over the what. Here's what I want to do. I love sitting in our home where none of you can hear it, and I tell Katie all the time, you want to you know what I want to do? Here's what I want to do. And it's usually about some situation or whatever, and uh, you'll never hear about it because I, she walks me out like, mm, back off. No, you, no, you don't, I don't want you in jail. That's not going to be good. <laughs> right? Why before what? And then perhaps the most important one, uh, God before me. I think this is where most of us struggle. Matthew 4, 17, from then on Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. Go to Matthew 11. And from the, time, from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven, not our kingdom, has been forcefully advancing. And then perhaps the most common place when Jesus was teaching on even how to pray, when he was asked, like, how in the world do we pray? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What should I do? I'd ask you what benefits God's kingdom. Now, some of you are like, so I got to quit tomorrow? Like, no. See, many, many of you have jobs where it's not about your job. What God has called you to is not about your job. It's that maybe your job is setting you up to actually do some other things in addition to your job. It's not, it's not that you and I just say, well, then I've got to like, work in a church or I've got to go start a nonprofit that's all about church stuff or whatever. No, no. Does it benefit God's kingdom? If you're a parent, does it benefit God's kingdom? How you're doing that, how you're leading. If you're a friend, leading another friend, how does this benefit God's kingdom? As you're sitting over coffee or whatever you drink while you're with your friends and you're talking about what should I do? How should I do this? Where should I go? We as Christians should be bringing up what benefits God's kingdom here? What elevates who God is in this moment and in this season. We have so many fantastic fountain springers who see life this way, where life is not about the specifics, it's about God's kingdom. Look at this final approach, and I'll give you a little bit of a review. I joke about it all the time, but I get distracted, maybe you did too. Who before do, why before what, God before me. But Galatians 1.10, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I would not be. So the inverse of that is what? I want to be God's servant. There you go. There's a walk right into the private conversations of me and my 18-year-old son who will graduate soon and walk out and an independent life, and I, what I want him going is, you are God's servant. Do as he requests when he requests it. Live for him entirely. Make life all about God and where you are and what you'll be doing and who you'll be around. Leave that to him. I dare you to try to live life this way. Can you imagine what God would do with it?
Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be able to just gather and sing to you and speak to you and learn from you. God, I pray um, just as the Ninevites did. God, would you help us hear you and do as you have said? God, would you lead each one of us, especially those right now who are just wondering, what do I do? How do I do it? Where do I go? What's my next move? What's my next decision? God, would you speak this into our souls to where we live a life that's based on you entirely? We pray this in your name. Amen.